Welcome to the Quack 12 Podcast, the most official, unofficial, Oregon Ducks podcast on the web footosphere. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Quack 12 Podcast or visit our website, quack12podcast.com. If you like what you hear, please leave us five stars on your listening device. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit the Quack 12 Patreon page, where for a measly $5 a month, you can become an official Quacky and unlock hundreds of hours of Oregon Duck content. On to the show. Quack, 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 quack. The Quack 12 Podcast is back for another roster review of a Pac-12 school. Now... I'm very excited for this one because this is the one that always sneaks up on you. You know, this is the team that, oh, we're having a great season. Everything is going good. We've beaten a big rival. Maybe you got a good out-of-conference win. Oh, things are looking up. And then the Washington State Cougars sneak up on you and ruin everything. That is, <laughs> but, but I like rooting for them more than other teams that ruin our seasons. If that, that uh, should be our anything. that should be our motto. The Washington State Cougars, we ruin everything. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's kind of perfect. Exactly. Except for bar sales. Bar sales always go through the roof with the Washington State. Yeah, Cougars. that is that is definitely yes, that is definitely a thing. <laughs> well, uh yeah, that is right. The Cougars are who we are focusing on for this episode. Uh and for that, well, first of all, we brought on, as always, Hithloday of Addicted to Quack. Hithloday, how's it going? Uh going pretty well. Uh I've been enjoying this series so far. We're nearing the end. Uh and good to have our near and dear friend uh with us to uh, at towards the end. That is right. Towards the end. Yeah. We're not dying. We're just finishing up the series. <laughs> but um what a what a great guest we have the wonderful Jeff Newser returns to the Quack Twelve Jeff Newser of podcast versus everyone the foremost Washington State Cougar podcast on wow. the internet how's it going that's Jeff? that's so nice that's really <laughs> yeah. nice like, well I didn't I didn't yeah. fully do my research I imagine it's the four it's it <laughs> it comes to mind for me more it's, than any other Washington State it, podcast it it truly is sort of a last man standing sort of situation <laughs> like as you guys know like you guys have been doing this a long time like it is yeah. like like when it comes to websites and podcasts and whatever it's it's more about who actually has uh, the audacity to actually just keep going versus mm -hmm. like, you know, any sort of specific talent or skill. So yeah, that's, that's kind of our situation. We, we have not, we, we do not quit. We have not quit. So we're, we're stubborn go. that way. I like it. That classic uh, stubborn kookness. I like it. Um, yeah. Well, we can just dive right into this thing. Cause I am excited to learn about this roster. Well, the interesting thing to me is after messing around with the run and shoot or, or perverse run and shoot, the Jake Dickard, who's a defensive guy, right? You know, came over from Wyoming, um, you know, is definitely, it's been his system. You know, they've lost now both of their offensive and defensive coordinator. Last year's offensive coordinator, Eric Morris, is uh, now off to be um, the head coach somewhere, right? And the defensive coordinator, Brian Ward, got picked up by another Pac-12 school, right? Yeah, he's down at Arizona State. Yeah. And Eric Morris landed at North Texas. North Texas, that's right. 
So, you know, Eric Morris was an air raid guy and Jake Dickert was like, let's just go get more air raid guys. In fact, the, the whole thing is pretty interesting because it's all like there's this whole connection through, you know, through Texas Tech and Western Kentucky. You know, the, so so Western Kentucky, the the coach, the head coach there is, is Tyson Helton, um, actually, interestingly enough, younger brother of Clay Helton. And uh, he's been there since 2019. In uh, But two years in, in 2021, he decided his offense sucked and he wanted to read vamp it and and just like cleared out the entire offensive coaching staff and who he wound up hiring was a guy named Zach Kitley from uh, who had been among other things he was the uh, grad assistant in Texas Tech from 2013 to 2017 under Eric Morris and Cliff Kingsbury both of whom were Texas Tech players under Mike Leach right you know Morris was a wide receiver for him and uh, Cliff Kingsbury was a quarterback for him although I think they missed each other by a couple of years like Cliff wasn't throwing the ball to Eric. Right. Anyway, uh, Zach Hickley uh, then goes on to be uh, the Houston Baptist offensive coordinator for 2018 to 2020. And uh, while he's at Houston Baptist, his like one of his grad assistants is a guy named Ben Arbuckle, who is like super young. He like just graduated from college at that time. So anyway, then uh, uh, Kitley gets hired at Western Kentucky as the new uh, offensive coordinator. And uh, he brings with him this quarterback, you know, from Houston Baptist called Bailey Zappi. They light the world on fire. Kitley, the offensive coordinator, Zappi, the quarterback, Arbuckle, who's like the the he's a uh, what they call a, a quality control coach which is their name for like an uh, he's not officially allowed to work on field uh you know with the coaches but he's doing like analytical work right and uh so anyway they wind up you know with the number six offense they're throwing the ball you know it's this air raid stuff but it's like you know just like everybody who comes off of mike leach's tree they're like they want to run the air raid like passing tree but they want to like shake their fist at Mike Leach, like, screw you, football dad. Like, uh, you know, I'm my own man. And uh, so they marry it to a bunch of other concepts. And sort of just like Lincoln Riley does, they do is they marry it to a bunch of like power run scheme stuff. You know, they, they bring in a tight end and they really go up tempo. You know, that's another thing. It's like very much not Mike Leach. Like Mike Leach wanted to slow the game down. Like in 2018, the adjusted pace of play hit 130 out of 130 under Mike Leach. So like that's, you know, their changes. So anyway, they, they hit like the number six offense in F plus in 2021. So then Kitley leaves. He goes off in, in 2022 to be uh, Texas Tech's offensive coordinator, sort of closes the circle. Arbuckle gets promoted to be the uh, offensive coordinator. Zappi goes and gets drafted by the Patriots. Oh, and in case you're curious about how I know all of this stuff, you know who the running backs coach in 2021 was uh, for Western Kentucky? No clue. Carlos Lachlan, who's Oregon's running backs coach now. There you go. And you know who their primary running back was? Noah Whittington, who's Oregon's running backs. You know, that's how I know all this. I had to do all this hmm. research for this. Oh, and you know who <laughs> one of their primary wide receivers was? Daywood Davis, who was a former wide receiver for Oregon. So, like, yeah, was, you know, that's how I know all this stuff. So, anyway, uh, so now, you know, Lachlan, you know, has the, has the keys. He has to work with a different quarterback. And he's just nowhere near as good. Uh, his guy named Reed. Um, he's just not as good as Zappy. And, and and so the offense sort of falls off to like, you know, 45. But I really think that has, you know, it, I don't really think it's because Arbuckle sucks and Kitley really knew the secret. It was just like, he just didn't have nearly, you know, he didn't have an NFL quarterback like Zappy was. So now, now Arbuckle has come to uh, Wazoo and it's sort of like, you know, 
Arbuckle, Morris, and Kitley are, are all this, you know, it's this cluster of Texas Tech. Morris wasn't at Houston Baptist, but like it's this cluster that sort of come off of the same, like they're Texas Tech air raid guys, but they all want to do something else, you know, RPO stuff, tight end stuff. They want to pick up the pace. Um, they want to run the ball a lot more. So you can't just drop eight into coverage, you know, every time. And sure enough, when I turn on the spring game, you know, in 2023, what do I see? All that stuff. Exactly what I was seeing at Western Kentucky in 2021, which I had to watch a bunch of because I was watching Carlos Lachlan's tape. Exactly what I was watching in 2021. And then exactly what I was watching again in 2022 uh, at Western Kentucky. You know, he just brings exactly that stuff to, to, you know, to Wazoo. So it's not Mike Leach's air raid, but it's it's a similar passing tree, but then it's married to a bunch of like power run game concepts. In fact, the very first play, I mean, literally the first play in the Wazoo spring game is 12 personnel GT counter, you know, to the boundary, you know, power toss, uh, which is like, you know, Mike Leach would run that in a million years, right? It's not just one <laughs> yeah. tight end, it's two, it's power blocked, you know, it's, I mean, yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, Mike Leach might have done that, you know, 12 years ago, maybe, mm. like maybe 15 years ago, yeah, right. but yeah. So, you know, that's, you know, that's the interesting thing is that like Dickard has just been like, I screw this man, just like you air raid guys, just do your thing. And he just like definitely is going back to the same well, I mean, literally the same well, you know, over and over and over again, you know, for his offensive coordinator. And so even though like Cam Ward, who came in with Eric Morris for, you know, from the incarnate word, it's sort of distaff branch of this offense and you might think oh he's got a new offensive coordinator isn't he just familiar with eric morris you know won't this be a problem nah nah like he comes off of this exact i, I don't really foresee this being a problem at all if i see any sort of problem at all it's the dicker to sort of forcing an offense on or defense onto schmetting the defensive coordinator that he hired from auburn um where like auburn wasn't running this defensive scheme at all they were running a totally different defensive scheme and dicker's just having him run his defensive scheme but whatever we'll talk about the defense when we talk about the defense but offensively like dicker has been totally hands-off with this he's just like you know you air grade guys you run your own thing <laughs> you know whatever you know what i mean yeah i think that you know last year there was some question I mean, i'm sure we talked about this on last year's podcast like there was some question as to whether you know would would dicker uh you know as you the word you use was force right force mm -hmm. his philosophy onto the offensive coordinator would he exert his will right we want to run like the defensive ball coordinators wanna... sometimes do that you know like yeah they or definitely defensive minded and, head coaches or sometimes. Yep. Yep. And they're like, no, we want to play this brand of football. We want to da, 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 da. And, you know, and Dicker, um, you know, there's, you know, I going into this, I kind of thought, yeah, you know, this seems like a pretty smart guy. Um, he seems to sort of understand where his, uh, strengths lie and where his, you know, potential limitations are and all those things. And, and I also think like, like, I don't know if this is a, a thing, you know, specifically or not, but look, he was a wide receiver in college. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and it's not, you know, horribly unusual or terribly unusual for guys to, 
you know, flip sides of the ball when they yeah. become coaches. Like that, it does happen. But I sometimes I also kind of wonder, like, if he's like, all right, you know, like I like I get it, right? Like he gets the offensive side of the ball. Of course, his expertise is on the defensive side, and he's very, very good at that. But I also think that maybe his experience on that side as a player allows him to maybe give a little more latitude you know, to that side of the ball. And he gave, you know, Eric Morris a lot of freedom last year. And, um, you know, we, we definitely wondered, like, is he going to, you know, essentially force his team to run the ball a certain percent? Like, you know, kind of how was that going to go? And he didn't do that. He didn't do that. In fact, yeah. he gave, you know, Eric Morris a ton of freedom, you know, for better or for worse, right? And I'm sure we'll kind of talk about that. But I mean, um, honestly, they weren't running the ball enough. Like they're no, I, I agree with you. That. Break the, if you break down their, I mean, not on first down, like their first down run pass win rate is better than their run win rate. Um, and so the fact that they were like 71% uh, pass on first down is fine. But like, if you break down to their, like the, their rushing success rate on second and short was 85%. Their yeah. rushing success rate on third and short was 73%. Those are like ungodly numbers. And yeah. yet their rushing frequency on second and short was 35%. Their rushing frequency on third and short was 41%. Like that is, I mean, that's a bonkers, their disparity on between frequency and win rate on second and short was 50 points. Like that's, I mean, are you fucking insane? That means that Eric Morris was essentially running no analytics at all, like no yeah. self scouting uh, on on his uh, yeah. on his own offense. There were, it was, I, I didn't think I would ever find myself wishing for more runs um, <laughs> because I am I am definitely like all in as a as an R rate as an air raid uh, acolyte, but it, there were definitely times where it was like, what like what are we doing? Like, why are we not just taking you know, sort of the simple, the simple thing here. And, you know, especially as Cam Ward's, uh, you know, consistency sort of tailed off as the season went along, as the yeah. pass protection got, you know, sort of like deteriorated as the season yeah. went along. Um, it seemed like they should have leaned into the run game, you know, perhaps a little bit more, but yeah, it was, it, it was, you know, particularly strange. Like it, it felt, you know, felt like the air raid, but also kind of like, not like just because you know we, we were sort of used to a very um you know particular sort of standard variation and you know we sort of knew we weren't getting that but at the i same mean time, yeah i mean you were drinking from the fire hydrant under mike leach yeah. for what was it se yes. seven years yes and i was you know like it was i was absolutely all in on it i was like this is this, i love this i love it so much you know let's throw the ball you know 75 percent let's you know, I, I, I loved it. And, and mostly because, you know, having an identity is really fun, right? Like, you know, having something as a fan that you can really grab onto that you can, uh, you know, football is, you know, as you know, Hitler day, you watch, you know, so much film, like, you know, most fans do not understand, you know, sort of the finer points of any particular offense. And yet with the air raid, you know, the staples are what they are especially with Mike Leach's air raid. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you have even a, you know, sort of a halfway passing interest in sort of understanding the basic concepts, you can identify a lot of, you know, it's, it's like, you're the, you're the Leonardo DiCaprio meme, right. Where he's holding a whiskey and yeah. pointing at the screen. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, like you're like, Hey, that's mesh. Right. Like you can, yeah. you can see that, um, <laughs> you know, that's six, that's six. I swear yeah, to God, well. that was four verts. Um, 
If you, know, you watch you it for seven doing, years and you see it about exactly. six hundred times a year, then exactly. after yep. you know, after you know, if you can identify thousand reps, yep. you finally see, hey mesh, I finally recognize yes. it. <laughs> if you if you sort of know mesh and Y cross and four verts, like you can identify about I, 60 70 percent of the passing plays you know yeah. under I mike mean, leach really, so i mean there was a reason why i mean leach would pull out a thing that would look like an index card because right. that was about it man <laughs> that was about it the size of his play call yep play. yep and so you know you could see some of that last year with eric morris but also like it wasn't quite as plain and no it's definitely sometimes not. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's basically it, like three different offenses mushed yes. together. Like when, when I and did that were, whole like recitation of like it goes from Mike Leach to Cliff Kingsbury to Eric Morris to Kitley and, and Arbuckle. Like I'm not trying to say that it's like a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox. Like yes. I, please don't misunderstand me to say that I think that this is you know a poor carbon copy. I'm saying that like every every literally everyone who comes off of uh, mike leach's tree from lincoln riley to everyone you know yes. uh, tr does something different like nobody no one who comes off of mike leach's tree tries to run the pure air raid no. like mike leach no everyone tries to marry it to other concepts yep and it is not unusual and it doesn't make it it doesn't mean that they're making bad decisions lincoln riley just ran the number one offense in college football right zach kitley just ran the number six offense in college football like yeah. the 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 idea that like well you didn't have an index card size play sheet means that uh, therefore you're not running the pure air raid means that therefore you're a bad offensive coordinator who doesn't isn't keeping the true faith like yeah dumb that's a dumb idea like yeah i think everyone knew that eric morris wasn't going to do that i mean we were all like none of us were expecting you know, the, the Mike Leach pure, you know, super dogmatic type air raid that said there were lots and lots of times. And, and I think this sort of gets after what you were talking about with the, the run rates on, you know, second and third yeah. and short and things like that. Yeah. I just straight up didn't there were think just, that Eric Morris was a good offensive coordinator. Yeah. That there were so many times. His, it's not because he deviated from Mike Leach no, that he wasn't a good offensive coordinator. No. It's because he was dummy that he was, <laughs> wasn't a good offensive yeah. coordinator. It was just like, there were times where it felt like, man, you're, you're just getting too cute by half, right? Like if, you know, just where, you know, just do what works, keep it simple. Right. And like, and like Mike Leach, you know, stresses that, right. Which is oh, like, yeah. keep it simple, execute the basic concepts. We are going to, you know, it's, I mean, it's really kind of a throwback, you know, to Vince Lombardi, to be honest. Like if you've ever read, David Marinus has a great biography on Vince Lombardi. And like, um, I read it years and years ago, but the one thing that stuck with me was that Lombardi's, you know, sort of philosophy of coaching was, look, we are going to rep this so, you know, bleeping hard and we are going to execute this so well that it kind of doesn't matter what the defense does. And that was, that was Mike Leach's philosophy was we are going to, you know, execute what we do so well and we'll figure out whatever it is that works in any given game. And then we will out execute the opponent. Of course that works for, yeah, you know, right however many right up until the apple cup or, you know, whatever, whatever team you play that, you know, has, you know, superior athletes, like at some point that, that, you know, fails to work, but you know, it's, it is sort of like that. And I think Eric Morris at times, you know, there were times where, 
his, you know, he would fall in love with his scheming. And there were times where that really worked out and times where that didn't. So like, for example, in the red zone, you know, he was kind of a wizard down there, which was kind of crazy. Like watching, you know, that was, that was sort of, of course, the big complaint with Mike Leach, right. That, you know, red zone was whatever, which I think was always sort of way overblown. I mean, in, in his last season at Wazoo with Anthony Gordon, like they were one of the best red zone teams in the country. So, you know, I think that was always a, a bit overblown, but, you know, watching Eric Morris do his thing, it was like, holy shit. Like he was scheming up some crazy, awesome stuff in the red zone. But then also on other parts of the field, you're like, eh, you know, could, could we maybe just like, you know, be a little simpler, be a little more straightforward. And, you know, the, the offense was, you know, just sort of a major source of just sort of like love, hate throughout the year for sure. And, you know, Ben Arbuckle, you know, you mentioned watching the spring game. I mean, I I've never seen that much offense in a spring game and, you know, I'm kind of sure, I'm sure we'll get into that, but it's like defense every spring game. I mean, I'm just like to, to have that many explosives to have that much, uh, you know, going on to have cam ward look that good. Like, like I'm not sure. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. I mean, I think Anthony Gordon's spring game before he won the, the game before he won the, the job was, uh, was, was also really damn good, but um, I I've not seen, I mean, the defense couldn't stop them and I don't think this is a terrible defense. I mean, I don't think they're a great defense, but I think they'll probably be a league average defense and to see them like annihilated like that was, was kind of insane. And, you know, I don't know how much you read into a spring game. I mean, Hithel day, you can tell me what you think about that, but I, I tend not to read too much into a spring game, but also like, but also like it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And the personnel I thought looked pretty good. So I don't know. I don't, I don't watch it for any of that. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean, all that stuff is distorted. Like, I mean, it's distorted by a thousand different factors. No, that's, that's casual shit. I, I do have like a question for you now that we're talking about personnel, though. It's a, it's a pretty tough question, though. You ready? Yep. Is Cameron Ward a good quarterback? I think so. How's that for a half answer? Mm. Um, I, so there, okay. He last year, I felt like so much of his, like there, there were like some serious issues with processing fast enough with finding the right guy. And then also just with accuracy and then, you know, obviously the offensive line was kind of a sieve by the end of the year in particular. Right. So that was a big part of the issue. So I think that the offensive line will be improved. I don't know that they will be good. I don't even know if they will be league average, but I don't think they will be the 11th or 12th best unit in the conference like they were last year. So I think, I think that will help. Um, you know, and then the mechanical issue, like, you know, I had heard kind of some back channel rumblings that when Arbuckle showed up, he was kind of, uh, kind of stunned about Cam Ward's like mechanical flaws that like those things had oh, not yeah. been coached up in the way that Arbuckle felt they should have. So, um, I mean, it is very, his mechanical flaws are very obvious. Like, or yes, I, I'm not actually, I'm not sure that I want to call them mechanical flaws because I mean, I'm not a quarterback's coach, but his, sure. I'll just say it this way. I've been watching quarterbacks throw. I, I've been watching like a thousand quarterbacks throw a thousand footballs for a long time. His throwing motion is very unconventional. Um, sure. Uh, 
I that is super duper clear. On the other hand, he's like he's thrown like a million yards, you know, and at the S- right. FCS level, um, right? Which like you can't do if like you know you're throwing the ball in the dirt every throw. So like it doesn't surprise me that for to hear him say like wow what a funky throwing motion. Are you saying that that Arbuckle is like I need to cause coach you to throw the ball differently i no. i think it's more just about like the like okay so you know when you look in the nfl even you know you see guys who throw the ball differently like you don't see guys who throw the ball like robots right but there are certain things that are you know that are fundamental right you're like your footwork is fundamental yeah his footwork was horrible like yes. not like even a casual fan could notice that that he um and now some of that was you know being off platform because of pass rush whatever but some of that was just like hey, you know either you know however you want to frame it depending on how critical you want to be you could say either it was you know laziness or also you know just bad you know training leading up to it like you know however you want to frame it wherever you want to give the credit or the blame you know just his footwork was bad Right. And so if you can clean up some of that stuff, you know, and there are certain sort of like fundamental aspects to throwing a football, you know, if you're, you know, for example, your arm slot is unconventional, right? Like he's got much more of a three quarters type yep. uh, release than he's almost than most like, so I, I don't, I think it's lower than three quarters, Frank. He's almost yeah, at times, right? Yeah, but also he also you know, has a very or, strong preference to throw to his left. Like he almost never makes it to the right side of his progression. Yeah. So, you know, not to compare him to Philip Rivers, but also like Philip Rivers had an NFL career for 20 years throwing the ball like that. So, you know, I mean, it's okay. You can do it if sort of everything else is, you know, working and set up correctly. Um, And I think just sort of like part of the issue was it wasn't. And you would see, you know, he would miss very, uh, you know, wide open throws at times where you're just like, yeah, he doesn't really have a deep. Like he doesn't really have the ability to yeah. throw deep with accuracy, which is not a huge like that should be deal sick. Well, in the conventional air raid, but yeah. like that's what Zappy was doing. Like that's what got Zappy drafted was that yeah. he also added the deep ball to the. To I'm the, not the convinced offense. that he can't do it. I'm not convinced that he can't do it. Just I am. because I think it's I'm too like late in his career for him to, maybe, to alter his throwing motion, perhaps. But I just kind of and look. The honest truth is. You know, as an air raid quarterback, how deep do you really have to throw the ball? Mm. And, you know, you you really, you have to be able to go sideline to sideline and maybe like 40 yards, maybe 50 yards. Like you're not, you don't need 70 yard bombs, right? So, you know, I think he's got enough arm. I think he can throw the deep ball well enough. I mean, there were times last year where he threw some balls like right into, you know, like, like right into the basket, especially early in the year, right? Before he started getting kind of the, the happy feet got, insanely bad um you know he had against wisconsin you know he had a couple throws where you're like wow yeah like that's that is in the bucket um you know i'm not sure if he can do it consistently but i'm also not convinced he can't just because i feel like he's a bit of a work in progress and i felt like you know again spring game we we sort of take all that with a grain of salt i understand your skepticism and i was kind of you know half joking but it's like maybe like one third joking but anyway it's like you know that the consistency with which he threw it, the accuracy with which he threw it was something we did not see last year. And I feel like, yes, there are all sorts of mitigating factors. Uh, You know, spring games are very noisy, whatever, but also like, you know, he was missing a lot of wide open throws last year and 
in the spring game, he looked pretty dialed in. The footwork, again, to a totally amateur eye, you know, looked pretty good, at least looked consistent, right? Like he didn't look like he was just sort of winging it around the field. It looked like he had some purpose with his throws. And that resulted in, you know, pretty high completion rates. Um, and particularly down the field, it was very explosive. So um, that's the part that makes me think maybe it's there. I mean, maybe it's not. You might be right. Like maybe it's it's just too late and, you know, it's past his development, whatever his peak should be and, you know, all those things. But I'm also kind of like, eh, you know, I mean, you see guys develop and blossom late, you know, and I'm not um, beyond the idea that he can be coached up into something that, um, you know, a, a level of consistency that we haven't seen yet. So I'm not joking a little bit about this. Do you think that his job is in danger from John Matier? I do not No. Like, um, number one, I, I think that it's just like, I, I just think they're going to give him every chance. Like, I think that's part of it, but also like, again, you know, kind of going back to the spring game. Um, I, you know, I do think there are things that Matier brings that are really interesting right like his ability to run the ball is a really different and interesting dynamic mm -hmm. um cam ward is a scrambler john Matier is a runner right like yeah. and you guys know you know your fans will know the difference between the two right but that said you know there were things that i saw from Matier in that spring game that tell me like he's he's kind of got a long not a long way to go that's probably not being generous enough but but they're just he's young right he's young he's immature there are certain things throwing the ball, reading the defense, making the right throw. Um, you know, there he had a couple of interceptions that are just like, you know, what in the hell are you doing? Like those kinds of things where it's like, yeah, you can see the potential. And I think he has a bright future, but I also don't think he's at a point where he's, you know, seriously pushing for that job. Let me ask you a question before we go any further about um about the spring game, just about the personnel, not really performance mm -hmm. stuff, which is, you know, it was pretty clear that the red offense versus the gray defense was the ones versus the ones and yes. vice and then flip it around the gray offense versus the red defense was the twos versus the twos. Yep. Was that to your knowledge, was that like a strict division? Like, should I interpret everybody who was on, you know, red offense, gray uh, defense as the ones and everybody who's the other way around as the twos? And therefore, should I be reading everybody who's on, you know, the flip side is like, oh, my God, like Zion Nunnally, why the hell are you with the twos? Um, or yes. or were they like, oh, we need to get a couple of guys on, on the other you know, side of this to make it interesting. I think it was pretty much ones versus ones, twos versus twos. Okay. I think it was a little more malleable defense, but I think offense, it was a pretty, I think that's pretty much what it was. All right. So Nunnally's, so like to speak specifically to Nunnally, like his issue has always, has never been his physical tools. His issue has always been consistency, particularly catching the damn ball. Like, yeah. like he's, he's gotten deep. He's beaten guys. He's balls have hit him on the head. Let's, he drops him. let's hang on and talk about, uh, I want to talk about wide yeah. receivers in a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just wanted to clarify that. Um, sure. let's talk about the I, running back. So I think so. So I think so. Okay. The running backs, uh, as far as I'm aware, they're bringing back, you know, pretty much everybody who carried the ball. I think they're only losing one guy who, who got a little bit of, you know, I think he carried the ball in one game, uh, Cannon Katzer who transferred out, um, and Juventsley Bazile transferred out as well. But I, I, I don't think he played at all last year. He might've had like one carry. 
Yeah, I remember we talked about him a little bit as a as a guy who potentially could break out, and then it was surprising that he didn't play. Um, I'm not really sure what that was about. But they bring back, you know, everybody who played. Uh, Nikia Watson, you know, had a great year, um, you know, uh, about 750 yards, you know, carrying, but then broke uh, a 1,000 from scrimmage because they threw him the ball so often, which is, like, definitely yeah. an air rate thing. Jalen Jenkins, who was a true freshman last year, wound up being the number two back, which was a bit of a surprise, and actually got a little bit higher yards per carry at 5.8 dylan Payne, the walk-on who i don't think i saw in the spring game they were holding him out with some sort of injury uh was the number three back uh, and then like uh javinsky schlenbaker who's you know got a real fun name uh who's another true freshman like only carried the ball a little bit that was actually really the only question that i had like why didn't we see him more often do you know schlenbaker yeah so i you know honestly i think you know he was a true freshman I think yeah, that was part he, of it. You could have played in three more games than he did, you know? Yeah, he could have, but it's not so much just like he was a freshman. They wanted to redshirt him. I like, I really feel like he was a guy who maybe was a little bit in over his head. Mm. Um, he came from a, I, I think it was a two way school in Washington. So that's like a, a smaller school. Um, a very good school, you know, him and his teammate, Leighton Smithson, both are on scholarship at Wazoo. He's, we'll talk about Smithson, I'm sure, uh, when we talk about the receivers, but you know, so two really talented guys, you know, super talented program, but also like, you know, maybe not as used to that level of competition. Right. And so when he got on, it, it felt a little bit like, uh, like he just kind of wasn't quite ready for that. And in fact, there was points where by the way if you hear my dog barking i'm sorry mm. i'm sitting outside um there were this, points this is where not the first uh dog of the series not the not the first year. not the first dog barking <laughs> yeah so i'm sitting in my backyard and there was a raccoon that just climbed up on one of our fences and now the dog's like freaking out yeah i don't know if you saw it. there's a raccoon over there um <laughs> yeah we live on a little bit of property out here so there's we see raccoons every once in a while he just sort of looked a little bit lost and and honestly there was there was a point there where we were you know those of us on our slack channel for kook center we're kind of talking about is is he going to stick at running back because he was a linebacker also in high school and it was sort of like you know maybe he's better suited for that running back he looks a little stiff uh, he's just kind of like, looks a little slow, not, not slow speed wise, but just sort of slow, like hitting the hole decision wise. Like he just kind of looked kind of iffy. Um, but then like, you know, like in the spring, like he looked like a completely different guy. Like he had finally settled into running back. And sometimes yeah. you see that when a guy hits a second year, you know? I mean, that's what, I mean, that's the reason that I'm asking. It's like, obviously Watkin, excuse me, Watson and Jenkins are your one yep. and two, but if somebody gets hurt, you know, I'm trying to figure out who the number three is. And it's a little, it's a little tricky to figure out because Payne was the three last year, but I think that's just because they didn't have any really better of an option. And he was a walk on. Yes. Um, and yep. I didn't get to see him in the spring game, you know? So, and, and there's like, Hmm, is it Schlenbaker? But if it was going to be him, why didn't he play more? Um, is it going to be the true freshman, you know, Pulassi? Um, I thought it might have been Bazile, but then he transferred out, you know, so did Katzer. You know, it's like kind of difficult to figure out the three. Um, if you had a guess to make, you know, do you think it would be Schlenbaker? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think like I think he's locked into that now. Um, I think they feel real, real good about the three guys that they've got. You know, uh, Watson's great. 
Like, like he was much better last year than I thought he would be the year before you look at that guy and you go, okay, he's a bit, he's um, a well-built back. He's strong. You know, he comes from Wisconsin, right? Transfers Wisconsin. You think like, okay, Wisconsin style of running, you know, all these things. And then he just was a little like underwhelming and, you know, not super strong behind his pads and, you know, didn't run as big as, as he was. And you're just kind of like, okay. And then last year, very good, like workhorse type, um, you know, ran as big as he actually was, which is great. Um, and then Jenkins, of course you mentioned Jenkins, you know, he's sort of the home run threat, right. You know, explosive. He's kind of at sometimes like, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of chicken with their head cut off, right? Like you just kind of, you know, the, the Scooby-Doo legs and all that kind of stuff where you're kind of like, where are you, where are you going, buddy? Like, like why, why are you over there? I mean, he's over so there. small, you know, that's, yeah. that's the thing. And it's he's small. Like, if, exactly. if Watkins gets hurt, I mean, that, that's the thing is, uh, and the reason I was asking about Schlumbaker is, the, you know, he's the only guy who's over 200, I think, besides the the, yeah. the true freshman coming in is, like, you know, because Jenkins is tiny. He's like 5'8", 167, yes. you know, like, yes. I you think know. what you see is this. I think so. I think that you know the the carries are going to go basically, you know, two thirds Watson, one third ish, uh, you know Jenkins, and then whatever sort of carry, you know, maybe a handful of carries for Slim Baker. If Watson ever gets hurt, I think you might see something more like kind of. 50 50 between Jenkins and Schlenbaker. So I think you would see Jenkins's carries go up a little bit and then you'd see Schlenbaker take, I think a pretty big leap in terms of usage at that point. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Schlenbaker just like becomes the new Watson. Honestly, I, I don't really yeah, think that Jenkins is built to carry the load. Like, he's no, I don't just, think so. It's way too tiny. Um, yeah. And, and, and then also actually, I think that pain would probably wind up getting, um, you know, probably a jump as well. You know, let's not forget about him. It's like he disappeared um, or anything. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I, I was actually honestly surprised that Watson came back, you know, because I think he's a redshirt senior now. Like, yeah. and, uh, you know, if he had, if he had a shot to go pro, like this was it, you know, at the end of last year. Um, and this is probably indicating that he thinks he, you know, this is, he's done, which is kind of like crazy. I think he probably had a shot to make a little bit of money at least, you know, land in the CFL or something. Um, but, yeah, he decided to come back to Pullman, uh, you know. All right. I'm thrilled. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's talk about the tight end unit. Not not something that's said a lot about the Cougs over the years. Correct. So the, uh, the there's actually like four of them now. They lost one. Moon Ashby transferred out. I don't think he actually wound up playing last year. Um but they yeah, brought and he was in, a defensive end convert anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, uh, they brought in a, a, a true freshman, Trey Lechner, but I, uh, I don't think he arrives until the fall. I didn't see him in the spring. Um, the, I think sort of the interesting thing here is the guy they had like a lot of hopes pinned on, uh, Andre Dollar, who's like a high three yeah. star. Um, we still haven't really seen him like, uh, and in fact, he was actually one of the guys I was thinking of when I was asking you about like, is the gray offense really the twos? Cause he was playing with the gray offense. Instead, the guys that yep. we were seeing playing with the red team were a couple of walk-ons, right. Uh, or, or at least unrated out of high school, uh, Billy Revere and Cooper Mathers. Um, and, and Revere was the, uh, was the guy who was getting like pretty much all the catches last year. Um, yep. not a ton. Um, but I actually sort of think that, um, that Arbuckle is going to use the tight end a little more than even Morris will. Uh, what do you think about that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that's entirely possible. Um, I think Revere showed himself to be a competent, um, you know, to sort of all around tight end. Uh, mm-hmm. his ability to both block and catch. Um, I think he just like the consistency was there, right? And and you know, Andre Dollar, like, you know, we we. We, I think, again, I, I think there's some. I mean, echoes he was a Schlenbaker true freshman there. last year. I don't mean to like exactly. write him off or anything. Totally. It was just sort of a surprise that you had like two unrated yeah. guys playing. And, yeah. and meanwhile, the guy that everybody's excited about, because it's like, dude, first time a tr- tight end ever for Wazoo, and he's a high three star. Oh, and yeah. also, we're barely going to see him. Yeah. And he was, he was in Oregon commit. We flipped yeah, him right. for Oregon, right? Yeah, right? Um, so yeah, I think there was some of that, but you know, like I said, I, I think it was a little bit of a, you know, sort of a Schlenbaker type issue where, you know, the true freshmen that come to Wazoo, like they're just not, they're not there right? Like they, if, if they are true freshmen ready to play, they're going elsewhere. They're not coming to Wazoo. So, um, when a guy comes, you know, even though, you know, highly rated, highly anticipated, all those things, um, you know, there, there's certain, certainly a, a limit to what our expectations should be. And I think, I think, uh, you know, dollar showed that last year and you know, the fact I honestly, I thought he looked okay in the spring game. Um, you know, the, watching him last fall, I was like, yeah, we should probably temper our expectations a little bit you know, seemed like he showed some growth. Um, you know, I think Revere is going to be the guy in terms of, um, you know, sort of the main tight end, but, uh, you know, I think, I think dollar works himself in there as, you know, the, the primary backup, uh, certainly much more this year than he did last year. So do you think he takes math? Cause like, that's what Mathers was doing. Right. Do you think that dollar winds up taking Mathers position away from him? It's possible. I mean, look, the physical tools are certainly much better, right? Like he's yeah. I mean, he's just bigger. Stronger, he's he's, faster, he's right? straight up bigger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, the only thing so, that has going for him is that he's older by a couple of years. Yeah. And I would not be shocked if it was sort of a situation where okay, so Revere is is sort of the clear number one, right? And then, uh, you know, number two right now is Mathers, and then you know maybe Dollar is like two and a half. Right. Like I, I would not be shocked if it's a situation where, you know, Mathers is sort of the primary number two to start the year. And then dollar sort of works his way into, you know, overtaking that spot that that would, you know, like I said, I didn't, I haven't seen anything from dollar that makes me think, Oh my God, this guy was so overrated. He's such a bust. Like everything has just been, yeah, he's young. He'll figure it out. At least I hope he'll figure it out. But like the tools certainly seem to be there. Um, it doesn't seem like a situation where he's, you know, it's sometimes you do see that, right? Where like you're like, oh my god, how is that guy rated that highly? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't see that with Dollar. I think you know he he's got the tools. He just needed to grow up a little bit, need to mature a little bit um, physically, and and so I wouldn't be shocked if he sort of worked his way into that primary backup spot as the year went along. All right, let's talk about the wide receivers. Okay, this is like a lot of turnover here. So let me, uh, before we get into commentary about any of these guys, this is why I cut you off when you started talking about, uh, <laughs> uh it's totally like, okay. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I need yeah. to, I go through like a long recitation here. Let me first do all the departures to make sure that I've got yep. them all right. Okay. Well, geez, uh, I hope, I hope the podcast is going to be long. Cause yeah, all right. it might take a while. <laughs> I, I'm going to go in order of like how many catches they got. Dijon Scribbling transferred out. Robert Farrell, I believe, ran out of eligibility. Donovan Ollie transferred out. 
uh, Renard Bell ran out of eligibility at long last. I think he was came in in like the Obama administration. Anderson Grover transferred out. He got a few catches. Uh, Drake Owen, who I think was a, a like D2 transfer, got like one catch. Yeah. He was a little exciting in the spring game, I remember, uh, last time. C.J. Moore from Oklahoma State, we were very excited about and then did nothing. Uh, to, he wound up transferring out. Um, and then I was never very clear. A guy from uh, Oregon State, Zariah Beeson, I think came in, but then was ineligible or something, but like he never played and now is not on the roster. I don't know the whole story there, but, but yeah. well, it, if the upshot is he is not on the roster, then, then that's all I really need to know. Did I miss anybody who's departed? I don't think so. Okay. But yeah, it's pretty much every <laughs> major contributor oh, no, that you might've expected. Uh, I, so, well, let me do the return. Well, I'm talking about like once, like once we get to the end of last season, you're like, eh, <laughs> like these are all the guys that we would hope to have back. And most of them are gone. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I, the, the, I believe it's the top four, uh, you know, scribbling, yeah. uh, Farrell, Ollie and bell, yep. uh, were the top yep. four. Um, yep. and then like Grover and Owen, you know, barely caught anything, but like, yes. yeah, but yeah, the hope was that Ollie and, and Stribling would be sort of your like cornerstone guys on the outside. And then you're just trying to figure out how to plug the holes on the inside, but you know, yeah, and so they transferred out. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, you know, sad to say like a lot of programs, uh, you know, the, the guys who transfer out, they're transferring out because they're either not getting enough playing time or they're like, they're just not good enough. Um, and there are some programs or the guys will transfer out because like there's a coaching change or they're really like fighting with the coaching staff or, or there's some, you know, other problem like that, um, or there's a culture problem or something, you know, and I don't really think any of those things happened with Stribling or Ollie. I think what happened is, you know, s sad to say, um, for, for the Cougs is just like, they, they probably, you know, proved that they were really good receivers and got offers to play at more prestigious programs i'm i'm sorry I, i'm not trying to be a jerk here but like no 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 it's that's not jerky i mean it's stribbling i think he landed oklahoma state right yeah you know and all he ends up at cincinnati like you just like yeah you know obviously cincinnati has uh you know had more success in terms of like the success of their program high level bowl games you know playing out of a out of a mid-major conference so um there's yeah, a river just go. Uh, in right. Cincinnati. There's there's not in Pullman. There's just endless seas of <laughs> wheat and lentils. All right. They do return receivers. Let's see, five through seven, or five through eight, actually. Leighton Smithson, Lincoln Victor, Orion Peters, Zion Nunnally. Uh, that is that correct? I believe that's right, yeah. I didn't see Peters in the spring game, but I know I saw the other three that I've mentioned. Yeah. And I, I think Orion Peters is back. I, he may have been dealing with an injury or something. Oh, one other guy, Josh Meredith, who I think caught, you know, one pass. I know uh, I'm pretty sure he's on scholarship. I saw him with the gray offense, which like we said, was the twos. And uh, I think that's it for the returners, at least the returners who are on scholarship from, from last year. So just five of them, which is actually kind of like crazy small for an air raid room. Right. Yeah. They brought in a bunch. Yes. Let's see. There's uh, two freshmen on scholarship, uh, Carlos Hernandez and Brendan Hills. Hills is coming in in the fall, but we saw Hernandez in the spring game uh, with the twos. Didn't look bad, actually. I think he might be, you know, playable right yeah. away. Yeah. 
they brought in a Juco DT Sheffield who like who was playing with the ones in the spring game looked pretty good. Actually, I think just took advantage of a bunch of defensive mistakes to be perfectly honest with you but like he took advantage of them which hey you know got to be able to do that and three transfers kyle williams from unlv who is playing the x receiver with the ones they brought in isaiah hamilton from san jose state who i didn't see in the spring game i think they were holding out with something and they brought in josh kelly from fresno state who is listed on the official roster is wearing jersey number six, but in the spring game was wearing jersey number three, which frustrated me enormously, and was playing Z receiver with the ones. Have I got all that right? I believe that's correct, yes. Any other additions that I missed? Nope, I think that's it. So that brings up the the number of scholarship receivers to uh, to 10, I believe, which is like that's you know about right for an air raid room. I, I might want one or two more, but I actually think they have a couple of walk-ons that they might want to play um uh or you know they, they could play in a pinch um uh you know I, I think i saw one or two in the spring game like leon neal for example all right so you know that's that's probably adequate depth the portal additions are are, are pretty interesting you know they're, they're all fairly experienced you know they, they have you know you know a couple dozen catches under their belts how do you you know, it's difficult to compare the portal guys to the returners, especially because the returners were not, you know, they weren't the one through four guys. They were the five through eight guys. How do you think the portal guys stack up to the returners? Well, I think it's telling that the, all the portal guys were running with the ones, yeah, <laughs> right? right? Like you were talking about. Um yeah, well, there was it, one returner who was running with the with the red team, which yes. was Lincoln Victor. Lincoln Victor. Out of yeah. the slot. So, yeah. yes. Although he, um, amusingly, is also a portal guy. He came in from Hawaii the, I think yes. the year before. Yeah, he was a Washington kid who walked on in Hawaii, transferred over with Rolovich. So I think that was the connection there. So yeah, that would mean if it's Cam Ward, uh, Nikia Watson, Lincoln Victor, Kyle Williams, Isaiah Hamilton, Josh Kelly... Uh, uh, that would mean you would be the entire transfer offense <laughs> for one. Yes, year. yes, yeah. Don't forget DT Sheffield because Sheffield was obviously uh, the. You're not the allowed biggest. to do that though. <laughs> you yeah. have, to have five offensive he, linemen. Yes, yes. No, Sheffield was was the biggest guy. Look, the wide receiver room was was honestly my biggest question mark heading into the spring game. And again, you know, it's like I I don't know how much you you know, hope to learn from that, but also like I, you know, I've watched enough spring games where certain units have just looked so putrid that you're mm -hmm. like, we're screwed, right? Like it, it's, it's not a, Hey, I expect this to continue into perpetuity, but you can also see like when a unit is, you know, capable or completely overmatched or whatever, and so with wide receivers, I was like, you know, are we going to at least look capable? Like we lost some, we lost our top four guys and, uh, you know, we're basically replacing them all with transfers and, or, you know, Zion Nunnally, who was incredibly inconsistent and you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah. why don't you start dumping on right? Zion Nunnally? Like, no, like, th but that was the thing. Like there were just all these question marks. Right. And so watching the spring game again, you know, and that's the only piece of data that we have to go off of, but they certainly look at, at the very least, they look competent. They look like they could play oh, yeah. and, and sort of my, you know, my take on the whole transfer portal thing is I know our, um, you know, a lot of our fans get stressed out about it and, 
you know, feel like we're getting, you know, the short end of the stick and all these things. But, you know, there's a part of me that feels like the transfer portal is, has almost become kind of like this great, like sorting mechanism where everybody, everybody eventually lands at the level at which they should be, where it's like, you know, it's, guys, it's market liberalization. Like, yeah, right. You know, they 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 start out at a place, they play us, they they play, and you know, they end up more or less where they are capable of playing, right? So, the guys that have come up for us, transferred up, you know, from UNLV, you know, Fresno State, Northwest Mississippi Community College, you know, stuff like that, like like they can play. And they can play at this level. And what I saw was I saw, you know, power five, pack 12 receivers. You know, are they all pack 12 guys? Probably not. But also like, you know, are they competent? Yeah. So that part of it made me feel, you know, pretty good. Made me feel, you know, confident um, in the sense that I didn't feel like that was destined to be a major shortcoming of the offense. Like I don't, I don't feel like the offense is going to be limited by its receivers, which no, was I, a good place to to be. Oh, I, I mean, I totally agree with one caveat, which is the two guys who transferred out, Stribling and Ollie, were the outside receivers, and those guys were tall, like pretty tall, mm-hmm. like six three, you know, For sure. kinds of guys. And the guys who came in who I'm fairly confident are going to be the new outside receivers, just like straight up replace them, are Kyle Williams and Josh Kelly, who are, I mean, they're not short, but they're not that tall. They're like 6'1", and frankly, I think this is being a little generous. I think they're like 6'1". Yeah, I I agree with you on that. And and like, which I do sort of think is a bit of a problem, because I agree with what you started to say about Zion Nunnally before I cut you off, which is that like, yeah, I just don't, I'm not a big believer in his, and I think there's a reason why they went and got portal guys, and I think there's a reason why Stribling and Ollie were playing over him. And while I do think that a lot of, you know, hey, I need to throw a jump ball passes are going to go to Revere, who's six four, which, you know, hey, yeah. it's a tight end. But like, I, I don't think the way that, well, I guess I'll put it this way. The other dudes that I was watching run this kind of offense weren't really throwing that type of outside sideline pass, you know, flanker pass to tight ends. Yeah. Uh, and I don't expect that our buckle is going to change that. So like, I do c- worry a little bit about that. Like that may, that there's going to be less competitiveness for that particular type of route because they're losing some height on the outside. Yeah. I think you'll see, I, I think you will see a lot of not only, um, again, he, for that reason. you know, I think for that reason in particular, um, that, you know, cause he's otherwise Dicker, he's the tallest guy in the room. Cause he's six, I, yes. I, I should have said that's good. No one is looking at this chart except for me. He's the, he's yeah. six, three and <laughs> yes. the next tallest guy in the room. And he's six, one. Six, and, yes. and I don't even think that guy is six, one. Yes. So like he so, towers over the rest of the room. Dickert made it a point repeatedly last year to talk about how his outside receivers needed to be physical. They needed to use their bodies. They needed to be tall. They needed to, and like, not like be tall, but you know, use your height. Right. Like, so he, he, he sort of was almost kind of a weird point of emphasis at times. Um, and, and I think that he really feels like that is an important part of an offense. Now at Washington state, you are somewhat limited by the guys you can get. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, there's a, you know, if you're, if you're trying to replace a bunch of guys on a dime, 
you know, you might have to settle for a bunch of six foot six, one guys who, who play on the outside as well. I do think you'll see plenty of Nunnally this fall. I think he'll be, um, that guy. I, you know, I am I'm, I'm guessing the outside receivers are going to be a pretty, uh, consistent rotation of those, like those three guys, plus perhaps Smithson Smithson's an outside guy too. And so, yeah. um, but he's also, again, you know, on the six, one, six foot, six, one side. Um, but I think you'll see, I think, I think, I think you'll see that, you know, Kelly and, um, sorry, Williams. And then not yeah. I think you'll see those guys split the reps pretty evenly with Smithson jumping in here and there. I think that's kind of what I'm thinking. So, yeah, I mean, that's about how I see it. You know, I see Williams and Kelly, the, the transfer guys being the starters, and I see Smithson and Nunnally being the backups. And and the reason I say that is because that's what it was in the spring game. Yeah. And, and I would actually expect that, you know, well, I, I would actually expect something like 80-20, you know, starters, backups, but you think it's going to be closer to even? I think between Nunnally and Williams and uh, and uh, sorry and Kelly, I think those three guys. I think you'll see something reasonably close to even between those three. Hmm. Like I just and, and maybe you know I, because I just think that Nunnally brings a different element, and I think that Dicker really values that element. Now, obviously, you know as we talked about, he gives a lot of latitude to his offensive coordinator. So, you know, Arbuckle will eventually obviously decide that. But none of these physical tools, he possesses a skill set that nobody else on the roster does. Between yeah. his height, his speed, his physicality, um, he can be very, very good if the consistency is there. And, you know, in the spring game, we saw, okay, he was pretty consistent in that game to the point where he was sort of like the go to guy for the number two offense repeatedly. Um, you know, if he kind of grows into his own, then I could, I could see him jumping up into that. I could see him becoming a starter and overtaking one of those other two guys. It just kind of depends on him. Um, but I think he'll get every chance to be um, in there for, for a, for a boatload of snaps. I think Smithson is maybe a pretty distant four behind those three. So the inside guys, like we said, the, the, t- the two guys playing with the red offense, um, who were the ones were the returner Lincoln Victor and, uh, the Juco, uh, DT Sheffield. I expect that to stay the same, that those guys will be the starters. Yeah, I would think so. I do sort of think who the backups are might be affected by the two guys who didn't play the, who were Orion Peters and Isaiah Hamilton, who was the, the, the third of the transfers from San Jose state. I'm not sure how that uh, situation plays out. How do you think the backup situation plays out? Yeah, I think again, it's, I, I, I would be, I would think that it's probably going to be a similar deal there where, Um, you know, you've kind of got three guys who are getting the majority of the reps. I think, you know, Sheffield, Victor and Peters, you know, Hamilton, obviously we don't really know what the situation is there as far as what the staff thinks. Yeah. I just don't really have any eyes on him. And he's, he's so experienced though. Cause he's like a, he started playing in 2018. He's been around forever. Yep. So, you know, it's tough to know exactly, but if, if I were sort of going off, you know, the known quantities right now, I know the staff really likes Peters. They, they tried to find ways to get him on the field last year. Victor is sort of Mr. Reliable. And then, you know, sort of a quick side note, you know, I'm sure you noticed this watching the spring game, you know, they threw in some gadget plays to, you know, I, you know, presumably to kind of give, 
you know, other defenses, some things to think about, but also every time Lincoln Victor and Leighton Smithson are on the field, those are two, you know, quarterbacks from high school who can, who are competent throwing the ball. That's an option. So Victor sort of brings that option as well. So, you know, I think with his experience and his dependability, you'll see lots and lots of him, um, you know, DT Sheffield brought a level of explosiveness to the offense that, you know, reminded me of Renard Bell in a lot of ways, almost down to, you know, just the size, like they were like little clones of each other. And then, like I said, Peters, they, they have loved Peters. Um, and they, they really love the idea of getting the ball in his hands. I think the question marks are Isaiah Hamilton, as we talked about Carlos Hernandez, you mentioned, you know, had his moments playing with the twos, a uh, true freshman early enrollee. You know, he had some, he had some moments during the spring game where you're like scratching your head. Like he had a fumble, you know, trying to fight for extra yards, but there were also times where, you know, he looked awful good finding space. So, you know, those could be two guys who, who kind of work into there, you know, with air raid. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, you're going too deep all the time. You know, you're going to play yeah, eight sure. guys, nine guys in a game. So I mean, it's not just I'm that, not but sure the distinction like, matters that much. They, they really want to kick up the tempo. You know, like that's yes. some, that's something that I feel like a lot of folks don't appreciate about Mike Leach's air raid was that like he oh, really totally. tried to crank down the tempo. Like totally. a lot of folks have this weird. People would be like, "Oh, WSU's no huddle," and I'm yeah, like, and like, "But they go so yeah. slow." <laughs> However, this actually is an air raid that goes super fast. Yes. Um, yes. And so, yeah, I wouldn't actually be surprised to see a lot more rotation, um, yep. even in the wide receiver core, uh, for, for that reason. It's just they're playing more reps. All right, let's talk about the uh, offensive line. I was Do a little surprised. To? Yeah, right. I, I was a, a little surprised <laughs> to hear you say that you thought the, the line would be better because I, I know they're losing a lot here. L let me see. If, well, first, let me see if I can recite who I believe the line was last year, because I know that there were some, you know, they had to go through some changes. The guy I was seeing at left tackle was Jarek Kingston, who'd been around for a while. Left guard, Christian Hillborn. But then he was unavailable for a little bit. And so his backup, I was seeing Quinn McCarthy. The center was Qu uh, Connor Gomnis, of course. He's been around forever. Uh, right guard, Grant Stevens. The initial right tackle was Ma'ake Fafita, um, but then he was unavailable later on in the season, and I was seeing the backup, Fa'ili Fa'moe, and I think that's it uh, for guys who played those, those seven. Yep. So then the departures from those seven human beings are the the starting left tackle, Jarrett Kingston. He transferred out and is now going to be the right guard at USC, of all things. The the starting right guard at Wazoo, Grant Stevens, um, has run out of eligibility. He started playing in like 2017, so yeah, it finally happened. Yep. And then that backup left guard, Quinn McCarthy, has also uh, has left the team. I think he actually had a year of eligibility or two left, but I, he's just not listed on the roster anymore. I'm not sure why that was. Yeah, I don't know either. Mm. <laughs> But anyway, not there. But I believe bringing back uh, the rest of the guys who played the, the left guard, starting left guard, Christian Hillborn, the center, Christian Dominus, the right tackle, Maki Fafita, and the backup right tackle, Faeli Faamoe. Yes. Yeah. Good, because I was seeing those guys in the spring game, but sometimes people leave. <laughs> the yes, it's true. While I'm doing departures, I'll also say I also noted a couple of guys who didn't play uh, have departed. Eric Wilder, who was on scholarship, uh, who was a, a, a true freshman last year, looked like he transferred out. Um, uh, an FCS guy had transferred in, now transferred out. Jack Wilson and then a guy named Nolan Bing 
uh, who is a walk-on, has also left. I figure I mentioned yeah. that completeness. They brought in, well, they got four true freshmen. I think all of them are going to redshirt. I'm not going to bother reciting them. They brought in two transfers uh, of a sort. One is a Juco Esapole, uh, and the other is uh, a transfer from the FCS ranks, uh, Christy Nkanu. Yep. And I think that's it for the you know non-freshman additions. I don't think yeah. they got anybody else new. Okay. No, I believe that's correct. Okay. So in the spring game, the lineup that I was seeing with the number one offense, with the red offense, I was seeing uh, uh, Pole, the Juco that I mentioned, playing left tackle in replacement of yep. Kingston. Hilborn and Gomnus uh, still had their jobs. What was interesting was that Fafida, um, who was the initial starting right tackle, had moved over to play right guard. And Fa'amoe, who was the backup right tackle, was now the starting right tackle. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that was that was something that was kind of in progress toward the end of the year anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, they really liked Fa'amoe out there. They felt like he just needed more uh seasoning more or less like he was like he was a year younger than fafita fafita is a 2018 and five yeah 2020 yep so just needed some seasoning needed needed to get a little better and if i remember right famoy was originally a defensive lineman as well um so flipped over and needed to develop and kind of figure that all out but um they felt like he had you know pretty enormous potential on that side so yeah he was already starting to work in a right tackle uh i believe before the end of the year so you know, Oregon played um, Wazoo so early in the year. It was week four. Most of the, you know, the close film study that I did on them was really just Fafita. Yeah. He was terrible uh, yes. at right tackle. Kingston was terrible at left tackle. And then, you know, I, I know that Faamoe was playing for the rest of the year and I charted those games, but I really sort of felt like Wazoo's offense was falling apart in a larger sense towards the end of the year like i I sort of here's the weird thing Fa'amoe grades out just as badly as fafita but i didn't feel as badly about Fa'amoe as i felt about fafita because i sort of felt other things were going wrong with wazoo's offense in the back half of the year am i making sense to you jeff that doesn't yeah that makes sense even though on my tally sheet Fa'amoe has pretty bad grades as a right tackle. I could kind of see this. I could see him having a better year in 2023. You know, I I don't laugh at that suggestion. I do kind of laugh at the suggestion of it being a dramatic improvement on the left side though. Like, um, do you really think that's going to happen? I, I don't know. (laughs) How's that? Um, I, I do think that Pole looked much, 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 much better in the spring game than I expected. Um, and again, you just kind of go, you know, it's a spring game, whatever, but also, you know, Ron stone and Brennan Jackson and, you know, the guys that were throwing at him at the edge. I mean, those are, you know, those are competent pack 12 level players. Yeah, you know, Ron stone was in the spring game. That's what, it, that's really the thing more than anything else. Why fair enough. Don't pay attention to spring game sure. performances. I mean, fair thing. enough, but you know, those guys like to eat too and hmm. so no i mean because um, they know, can't like, kill the quarterback is what i'm saying no but i've seen but i've seen plenty of spring games where you know there's you know 15 sacks where guys get their hand on the quarterback and that was not happening here now again you know caveat spring game whatever 
but you know, Pole did some things, you know, athletically that you know, surprised me a little bit. Um, it wasn't just the pass protection. It was, you know, getting out and run blocking, pulling. Um, there was one, you know, play, I, th- I think it was Jenkins touchdown early on where uh, Jenkins had like, actually the the snap had gotten dropped and then he was running, but Pole had gotten out and gotten, you know, upfield and absolutely obliterate a linebacker, which was sort of a, a movement that I wasn't sure that, <laughs> that yeah. we might see from that guy. So, um, you know, there, there are a lot of things there, I think to like, you know, I mean, his, is even just from a physical standpoint, you know, six, seven, three twenty, you know, it's like, okay, kind of looks the part of a left tackle. So not to say that I expect him to be Kingston and, you know, Kingston, as you, as you're talking about with him at USC, like there was never a part of me that was like, Oh yeah, that guy's a left tackle. Like, you know, we watched Andre Dillard come through and it was like, okay, there's a left tackle. Right. You know, you know, with him, it was, it was always more out of necessity. And there were, there were so many things that were out of necessity as the offensive line really kind of fell into disrepair under, under Nick Rolovich. And also honestly, that kind of started in the last year of Mike Leach's tenure, you know, to kind of see, all right, you know, we're, we're maybe kind of getting some guys back in some spots where, they, it was kind of like you mentioned with, with Famoy, where it's like, you know, maybe he grades out as bad as Fafita, but when you watch Fafita, you're like, that's not a tackle. Yeah. Right. Like you're like, he's out there. It's fine. You know, whatever, but he's not a tackle with Famoy. You watch and you go, eh, yeah, like I could like, maybe yeah, it his, never I mean, his out, frame is a little more appropriate for it. I do. I, I do think it's right. a little undersized, right? I mean, a little for sure. But also, you know, we're also talking at Wazoo, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Versus, you know, they other got places. Lentils, and, they got Cougar Gold. What are you talking about? Yeah, that is true. They got Bush um, Heavy, right? It's totally. The so, you know, I, I kind of look at it and go, you know, we we look like we have a setup that could grow into something at this point. Like Fafita, he started out as a center. And him moving out to tackle was, again, you know, sort of out of necessity. They wanted Christian Hilborn out there, and he was a train wreck out there. Mm. So they had to get him inside. So, okay, well, it's, I mean, somebody's got to be the outside. All right. Fafita, you're, you know, you're it. Right. And just, he's not, he was, he was never going to be that. So I think with what they've got now with Gomnus at center, who is, I think a, I mean, I don't know if he's like a, you know, pack 12 first team guy, but I think he's got second team upside, certainly honorable mention upside. Um, you've got Hillborn and Fafita tucked in at guard, probably where they belong. You've got Pole, who at least sort of maybe at least looks the part of a left tackle, and Fa Moe, who I feel like has, you know, maybe the most upside of anybody on the offensive line. And you're like, all right, I could see this growing into something. I mean, maybe they're as bad, but I, I don't know. They're like, I have a hard time seeing how they could be as poor as they were last year. So the curious thing to me was so backups in the spring game. The let's let's talk about backup tackle first. In yeah. the spring game, the two backup tackles or the gray team tackles were Zach Miller and Luke uh, Roten. Um, I yep. believe he has a brother on the team, too, or a twin. Yep. Yeah, twins. Yeah, him and Landon. The thing is about Miller and and Roten, both of them, I guess, is that they're redshirt freshmen. And the thing that I wonder is if one of the starting tackles gets hurt, do you think they're going to slide Fafita out to play tackle again? Or do you think they're going to put Miller or Roten straight in at tackle? Uh, I would be surprised if their first plan is to move Fafita back out there. That's like, what I, I was thinking, but, but that like means just, putting in a redshirt freshman. Yes. And we'll see. 
<laughs> like I, I think that they're okay. So like my, I, I think that they maybe learned their lesson a little bit. I think they know what they have. And then, you know, I personally, I just always subscribe to the idea like, okay, maybe one position is weak, but all the other four positions are your best four guys. Um, maybe that's the better way to go than moving a guy. And now you're weaker at two positions. Mm. And I think that like that, you know, obviously what you're getting at is things get very, very thin after the first five. Yeah. Right. And, you know, maybe in another year, you know, they'll run, you know, six or seven deep where you feel pretty good if, you know, you lose somebody, but, um, th but they're just not there yet. So, you know, it, certain guys, if they lose, you know, you feel like maybe they can compensate on the inside a little bit. Um, but it, you know, yeah, like you're talking about tackles, like they, they might be pretty screwed if they lose one of the tackles. Miller is substantially bigger and I think uh, higher rated in the two, four, seven composite than Roten. Do you think he would be the first guy in? I, I mean, it's possible, but I know that they really like, uh, I know they really like Roten. So okay. if I were just, you know, sort of off the top of my head, I think Roten's probably the guy. Um, but again, you know, mm. the, you know, you mentioned size, you know, a little smallish, right? So, I mean, you know, Roten is currently listed at 271, which is right. Like, <laughs> so, and you know, you just red, I go, mean, that's why eh, I keep coming back to the red shirt freshman. Know, of could he put on another like, 15 pounds between now and August? It's a lot of cougar I don't gold, know. man. Like, eh, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen crazier things, uh, from offensive linemen. So, uh, yeah. It's, it's tough. To, it really is tough to say. I, I think the bottom line is really, I feel pretty good about the potential of the top five. Um, I feel like once you get past the top five, it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. hold your breath. No, I agree. Situation. So. I feel like guards could probably, will probably sort themselves out and I, I can make some guesses on my own, but like, I do want to ask you about center because, well, snapping the ball is a specialized skill. And also Connor Gomez has been doing it forever. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure I've ever had to see somebody replace Connor Gomez. If he goes down the, the guy who I seen the ball snapping the ball for the great team was Brock Dew. But I heard yeah. one of the commentators say that they believe that the guy who would actually be the backup is uh, Devin uh, Kalani, um, but he wasn't playing in the spring game. How do you think that goes down? I, you know, that's possible. Um, I don't know about uh, much about Kalani. I do know that Dew has gotten some, you know, spot duty here and there at times at guard at center. You know, he he seems it's sort of like I, I think it goes like this. Like if you need a guy to jump in and do a job, you know, do is that guy. He, when he, when he was recruited in, you know, what the thing, some of the stuff they loved about him was his tenacity, his intelligence. If I remember right, he had at least one service Academy offer, maybe two, you know, just the, so that was sort of his rep was that he was, you know, a smart guy, you know, and when you look at, I mean, six, three, two eighty eight, right? Like that's not really pac 12 level size for an interior lineman. So, um, you know, if you need a guy to do a job, he's probably the guy. The reference to Kalani might be like, hey, if we're looking at like an extended absence, that yeah, maybe this is the guy we're we're trying to develop. You know, six five, two ninety five yeah. on the spring roster. You know, maybe this is a if we're looking long term, yeah, yeah. that's probably more of a long term. I, I don't know that Dew is ever a consistent starter, but he's also I think a guy who can do a job for you, and I think that's kind of. That's kind of where it probably lands. No, oh, I mean, okay, fair enough. The I, I, well, I, I guess 
here's where I'm going with this though. You know, the, the, because of the Fafita Fa'amoe sort of slide over, they're effectively, you know, even though they lost, you know, two guys off the line in, in one of the backups, um, you know, they, they they bring back four guys who played last year, you know, in sort of a starting capacity. And then Pole, you know, regardless of what you think about him, he was a Juco who, you know, has a, a couple of years of playing under his belt, which means, you know, their five starters are all going to be guys who played you know, at least one year, in some cases, a couple of years of college football before. But if any of them gets hurt, the guy that they would be putting in has played, as far as I'm aware, zero college football. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> so it's like, yep. don't don't let anybody get hurt, you know? No. And, and, and honestly, I'm not even sure, like, if somebody who has to snap the ball gets hurt, like, I'm not even sure if any of them can snap the ball. Like, I mean, I know that Duke can because I watched him in, in the spring game, but, like, apparently they believe in somebody else more, but I haven't watched him. I mean, literally, I've never seen him snap the ball. So it's like, uh, don't let any of these guys get hurt. And there's a bunch of dudes who, like, they keep trying out at tackle who can't do it, like Fafita and Hillborn. You know, yeah. so it's like, don't let any of your tackles get hurt either, because it's like, uh, I hope you sure don't have to put in a redshirt freshman who might be too skinny to play, you know, <laughs> yep, because uh, that'd be real bad, too. All right, let's switch over and talk about the defense. Well, since you brought them up, uh, let's start with the defensive ends. You know, th this is a, a pretty well-ranked uh, defense. I think they finished number 27 in F+. The thing that's been remarkable to me, you know, really ever since uh, Dickard arrived back in whenever it was, uh, 2020, I think, and sort of transformed the defense because it had been a three-down defense for a long time and he transformed it into a four-down defense. And I was surprised by how effectively and quickly he transformed it. And, you know, the the first thing he did was sort of discovered these defensive ends who had, I believe, been on the team, but were not prominent. And he made them prominent and, and they've really been incredible. And you mentioned their names already, uh, Brennan Jackson and Ron Stone. They're they both come back for their redshirt senior season. I really think they probably could have tried to get drafted. Honestly, I was kind of a little surprised they came back, um, but probably could stand a chance to raise their draft stock. So like good for them. They uh, they also bring back, uh, uh, well, really, they bring back everybody. You know, I think they only lose one dude um, who, who transferred out, Gabriel Lopez, uh, who I think, you know, only got like, you know, one play in or something like that. They, they, they should be able to run six deep. They only play two ends at a time. So like six playable dudes, pretty damn good. Jackson is soon in the headliners, but really, you know, Roth, you know, Quinn Roth is pretty much just as good. He's only a year uh, younger than them. Um, although I didn't see him in the spring game. I think he was being held out. He's okay though. He's, he's going to be available in, in the fall, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't, I don't, I have not heard anything to the contrary. Yeah, honestly, like, you know, Roth is right up there with, with Jackson Stone, which is remarkable because I think he was unrated out of high school. Yeah, he was a walk-on. He was a walk-on. Andrew Adson, you know, also, he's pretty young. He was 2021, 20, but, you know, also yep. you know, a ton of Havoc plays, you know, last year. Lawrence Falatea, that's another one who I think was being held out in the spring game. But when we pause and ask you, he, he's okay too, right? He's going to be. Yeah, as far as I know. Yeah. And then uh, Rom Stevenson, who got the, you know, he played in every game, but he, he got the fewest amount of tackles, but whatever. Like when you're going six deep and returning all of them at defensive end, like, yeah, man, like that's, it's a good room. Uh, honestly, I, I really feel like Wazoo's defensive end room should be getting more attention. I, they're, I mean, obviously they have to lose Jackson and Stone at the end of this year. Um, 
I, I, they, they may be losing one or two more because like the secret can't, you know, be, be kept under wraps that much longer, but like, yeah, I think it's a really good defensive end room and, 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 you know, it's pretty damn scary and they bring back everybody. It's like, holy shit, look out, man. You got anything to add? No, I mean, I think the hope there is that both Stone and Jackson maybe take a little bit of a step forward um, in the sense that, you know, they they had their moments. Um, they would, you know, exert their influence on games from time to time. But the feeling that they were sort of consistently terrorizing quarterbacks was not really there. Um, so I think that's the hope, right? Like you kind of get to this point, okay, yeah. you're a redshirt senior, you've been around forever. You're, you know, like this, if you are what we think you are or what you have been purported to be, you, you should probably be, um, it, it, you know, the word he's was terrorizing, right? Terrorizing opposing quarterbacks. Now, maybe they won't, maybe that, maybe they've already yeah. kind of hit their ceiling and if they have, then, you know, the, the strength is kind of what you said, you know, they, you know, they're rotating in enough guys, all of whom are competent. Um, and then just through sheer effort and force of will, you know, you get some pressure on the quarterback. So, you know, those things, I think either option is, is possible. And I think either option is, you know, is, is, is a net benefit for the defense. Yeah, I guess I should be clear. Like, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to portray him as like, you know, Aiden Hutchinson or something where they're just going to go out there and start beating five star, you know, offensive tackles, uh, you know, or, or something like that. Like, no, you know, there there's a talent cap, but I just mean that like four mid three star uh, defensive ends or, you know, which is uh, almost all of the room with the exception of Roth, who, like you said, was a walk on like they're playing more like low four stars. Are they playing yeah. like five stars who are just going to humiliate any offensive tackle that they play? No. When they play, you know, the real like like if Wazoo has a really good season and winds up going to like, you know, a New Year's six bowl, like let, let's say the stars align and that happens and they wind up playing like you know, Ohio state, you know, something like that. Like, are, are they going to start like sacking the quarterback every game? No. Cause like, that's not, they're not that type of defensive end, but they're yeah. playing in the pack 12 every week. Yeah. They're playing horrible offensive lines. And you know what these guys are going to do to horrible offensive lines. They're going to eat their lunch because they're just better. They're, I mean, they're just straight up better. They're better than those offensive lines and they're better than their talent rating. Um, which is like, yeah, pretty cool. And they're bringing back yeah. all of them. So I expect, you know, the yep. standard incremental improvement and, and incremental improvement yeah. off of a really good unit is like really good. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've seen this story before at Wazoo where, you know, a guy sticks around for that one extra year and then all of a sudden they like everything clicks, right? Like mm -hmm. where, you know, the strength is I mean, there. That was the, the story of Oregon there. State. That, that was sure Oregon state had a phenomenal defense last year, yep. not because of any real secret, you know, they didn't like, they didn't find a, a magic sword and a stone or anything like that. It was because they had like nine seniors who'd been playing football yep. for six years. And it's like that yep. last year, you know, for guys of this like talent profile, you know, not trying to be condescending or anything, but like, yeah, no, this, I think that's, that's fair. Like, yeah, this is what happens in their final years. Like, yeah, I'm totally yep. expecting that for Jackson and stone. Yep. So I think that's, I think that's what we're hoping for. And then hoping for, you know, the guys behind them, Roth, Steven or, uh, Roth and, then, uh, Stevenson and, and Edson, you know, that those guys, um, you know, take their next step forward too, so yeah. that it's really kind of a relentless situation and not where, you know, two guys leave the field and, you know, now the other team gets to relax. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, totally. I mean, yeah, you put in Roth and I, there's really no drop off at all, like at all. Um, yep. I mean, a, actually, it's a, a, at points like I, I would have rather had Roth in than Stone. Um, and uh, and then, you know, the, now there is a drop off with the next three guys, Edson, Falatea and Stevenson. But it's not like it's not like oh, a huge drop off and you get to take, uh, you know, a break. You know, it's like, no, the pressure is still on, you know, like, it, you know, it. it yeah, it, it, it's not like they're clowns, you know, no, that that's a for real group. And like that was a for real group last year when they were, you know, I think those guys, all three of those guys that I just mentioned, Edson Falate and Stevenson, all three of those guys were 2021 recruits. So last year was yep. their second year in the program. This will be their third year in the program. I would expect with defensive linemen, the sophomore jump is really the junior bump. You know, it doesn't happen yep. the second year. It happens for the third year. Well, this is their third yep. year. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And those guys have shown some promise too. Like they've had flashes. So I think that's a reasonable thing to hope for. Okay. The tackles, the two guys in the middle, this room under your hand, there have been uh, some significant departures and I'm actually a little worried about this room to be perfectly honest. In fact, I believe the three most used guys have all left, um, who were like seniors and just graduated. Th those were Christian Meja, Amir Mujahid and, uh, Antonio Pule. And then also two guys transferred out who basically didn't play. Amir Crowder, who was, was kind of a surprise. And then uh, Justin Lawrence, who I think was a redshirt freshman. Uh, have I got all that right? Yeah, I believe that's right. The guys that they bring back, well, the guy, the 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 two guys who basically played last year are Nusi Milani and David Gusta, um, who uh, were the two guys I was seeing playing with the gray defense, who was the number one defense and starting with them, although they rotated very quickly. There was one interesting thing that I wanted to ask you about because I thought it was really weird. The official stat book says that Ty Gray Harris played in 11 games. I don't have him on my tally sheet in 11 games. What what's that about? <laughs> to be honest, I'm not a, I'm not actually sure. I mean, I know right. he did play. Um I didn't, you know, chart it or anything, but but he definitely played. Um but that should also maybe tell you a little something about like his impact level yeah so. I, I, I didn't think he was yeah exactly like i basically I, I only really think they had five guys in who were again the three guys who left Meja, muhadid and pule and the two guys who return milani and gusta and then basically while there are you know a bunch of guys who returned they effectively didn't play the the guys on scholarship were gray harris um R rashad mckenzie who didn't play in the spring game um and I think that's it for scholarship players. I, I think they only have four scholarship guys coming back and two of them didn't play gray Harris and McKenzie. Um, other guys that I was seeing in the spring game were all walk-ons. I was seeing um, Alec Eckert, who's a walk-on. I was seeing Tristan Souza, who's a walk-on. I was seeing Bryson Lamb, who's a walk-on. And this is one was really crazy to me. I was seeing um, a guy named Jernias Tafia, who is a walk-on offensive lineman playing defensive tackle 90 seconds into the spring game, you know, with the gray team, because <laughs> when they had to, to rotate to their second line, like, yeah, they were putting in a walk on offensive lineman. I was like, boy, this room's not big enough. Now I know they brought in some new dudes, but I'm like, I don't think they brought in enough new dudes because, well, let me recite them. They brought in there. There are three freshman recruits, but two of them don't arrive until the fall. Um, that's Khalil uh, Lafau and Rocky Shields. 
And the third one did arrive in the spring and he was playing in the spring game. Like they needed him to, that was Ansel Dimba. Cause like they're pressing a true freshman into service, you know, that's how small they're. And then they just now like got a transfer from a Colorado uh, defensive tackle, Naeem Rodman, who I've been charting for a while. I don't think it's bad, but like, I think they have to like, you know, I'm not, I'm sort of lukewarm on him. You know, it's not like Colorado has been a great team, um, but like they have to have him like they don't like, of course he has to play. They don't have enough dudes to populate this room if they don't play Naeem Rodman. You know what I mean? Yep. Extremely thin. Um, I feel pretty good about the top two guys. I feel like Gusta and uh, Milani are, are serviceable. Milani, especially it felt like there was um, again, we, t- you know, we talk about potential, um, you know, that's a guy who, you know, I, I feel like is rounding into an all around defensive tackle versus being, um, you know, somewhat of a pass rush specialist as, as sort of a smallish defensive tackle. So I, f- I feel like he's sort of rounding into form as a guy who can play, uh, you know, more frequently in, in more frequent downs, but yeah, you're right. Like, like it's super duper thin, um, you know, they need help and, and, you know, hopefully maybe they get, you know, a couple of guys, um, who can step up in there and, and, you know, you might see, I mean, you know, one of the things I absolutely believe in with Jake Dicker is that the defense is always going to be competent. Like, I don't, I don't know. It, it was sort of like with Leach, right? Like where you're like, okay, well the, you know, I don't know. Once we got past the first two years of implementing the air raid after that, it was like, yeah, this is always going to be at least okay. Like baseline. Like it's yeah. yeah, like there's a baseline of league average in there, right? Um, that's how I feel about Dickert. Like I just feel like he's such a bright defensive mind. I feel like yes, you know, personnel will be a limiting factor most of the time, but you know, he's a smart guy, he'll get creative. Um, you know, I think you might see a lot of situations where uh and I think you've seen this at times where instead of you know, running out something traditional for three downs, you are, you know, running out, you know, maybe your heavier lines on, you know, first down, maybe second down. And then on third down, they go with a real light package, you know, for pass rushing. So all of that depth we talked about at edge, you know, I think there's a real chance you see, um, you know, Nusi Milani and three edge guys, you know, on a third down and six or something, you know, so. But I mean, so I mean, I just think they get creative with stuff like that to try and cover up, for some of these weaknesses, which of course can only get you so far, but I do, I do have a lot of faith that Dicker can, you know, perhaps mask over paper over, um, some of these limitations in terms of personnel. But I mean, like, here's the issue with that, Jeff, is that like, that's exactly where the biggest weakness in Wazoo's defense was last year. Like when you break down Mm -hmm. there, I'm going to spit a bunch of numbers at you. Wazoo's rush defense was, I mean, it was weaker than their pass defense in terms of efficiency. You know, it was was underwater, uh, but just barely so. It was about 49% in terms of, you know, opponents won on about 51% of their plays, but they were okay in terms of like, you know, they were limiting opponents to only about 4.8 yards per carry, which is okay. They were, you know, only about 15% of opponents runs were gaining about 10 plus were gaining 10 plus yards, which is about average, you know, and frankly, given Wazoo's talent profile, which is, I mean, it's the worst in the PAC 12 by a long stretch. Like it's, it's a mountain West talent profile. I'm not trying to be mean about this, but like a team of Wazoo's talent profile should not be putting out, 
power five average uh, numbers and and Wazoo's Wazoo's rush defense is power five average. In fact, it's almost perfectly power five average, which given that their talent profile is not power five average, in fact, it's way below power five average means they're punching above their weight class. So good for them. But here's where they are punching at their weight class, (laughs) I guess, um, is it's short yardage um rush defense their short yard just yeah. defense is terrible they are defending only about 30 percent of second and short runs only but yeah 30 percent second and medium runs 30 percent uh third and short runs in fact it's all, all almost identical the second and short third and short second and medium um you know they do well on first and 10 for runs you know when it's like the you know agnostic playbook but as soon as it becomes like obvious run situation like like they just can't stop the run because, and, and, and that's a situation where it has to be the defensive tackles where they just attack the defensive tackles. And that's when they had their good defensive tackles or like, like, you know, last year's starting defensive tackles. And it's going to be, a, I mean, like, look, man, like I, I'm not saying that, that Milani and Gusta suck or anything. I'm just saying that they have fewer of them now, like, and, and like, and the idea of like, well, they're going to paper it over by putting in, you know, ends like, well, that's cute. Uh, you know, in terms of like that, that'll give you some answers on third and long, but that that wasn't their problem. Third and long wasn't their their problem at all. In fact, when we get to the pass defense, you know, stuff I'm going to, you know, or actually, I'll just tell you better right now. That, that was something that was really, really fascinating. Like their their third and long defense against the pass is about 72 percent, which is fantastic. Their third and short defense against the pass is 36 percent. That tells me that the secondary sucks and the pass rush is awesome. Why? That means that when in third and short, the defensive ends have to play the run, right? They got to hold back. They got to set the edge when, uh, 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 and when they do that, what happens to the pass defense numbers, they go in the toilet, but when it's third and long, and the 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 pass rushers can pin their ears back, as Kirk Herbstreet loves saying. Then the pass win rate goes through the roof; it goes to seventy two percent. That means that all of the pass defense is coming from the defensive ends, and none of it is happening in the secondary. So, like, I mean, I just got through fin- finished saying it. The defensive ends are fantastic. You don't need help on third and long. They're kicking ass on third and long. What they need help with is on short yarded situations and the opposite of that is happening like the defensive tackles are all leaving and like it doesn't look like they're getting enough help that's the end of my rant uh, what do you think about my rant jeff <laughs> no i i agree i mean it's look defensive tackle has been a persistent issue for like a decade oh, like yeah man guys like that don't grow on trees and you know there's a reason why the sec and the big 10 are what they are Right. Like, you know, those Mm -hmm. guys are, you know, they grow them down there and they stay down there and it's very, very difficult uh, to find them out here. And so in look, and when WSU was at its best defensively under Mike Leach with Alex Grinch, you know, we had a steady pipeline of dudes from American Samoa coming over and being our guys. Like you are, you know, very, very, you know, very familiar with the coach that that was bringing those guys in. Right. Um, You know, Joe Salvea and, you know, the, a bunch of those guys are in the NFL right now. Like there's, there's literally like four of those guys in the NFL who were, who came over from American Samoa, shored up our defensive line and they were great. But outside of that, like it's been a persistent issue. They don't, they're just, there aren't that many of them. Uh, they tend to get hoarded 
at uh, at other schools, and we just don't have them. And I, I do agree with your point. Like, like maybe they should have just gotten some more bodies. <laughs> Like maybe that's it, yeah. but I also can't fault Dickert for maybe holding out, holding out, holding out, hoping that, you know, maybe somebody competent falls into their lap. You know, for example, you know, the guy from Colorado, you know, not that, like you said, he's any great shake, but it's also like, you know, maybe he's at least competent, you know, maybe there's some hope that, um, you know, still at this point, maybe somebody falls into your lap. Uh, other than that, I mean, or do you I don't think know, I mean, they are it, act- actively looking in the transfer portal to add? I mean, more? I assume, I assume they are like, that's the one, you know, sort of massive glaring weakness on the roster, just in terms of like where bodies. do you know where right? their scholarship count is? Cause I like, I don't, I okay. don't, I don't pay as close of attention to that as I used I've to. I've been trying to add them <laughs> up and like, it seems like they may have awarded some scholarships to like walk-ons and some special teamers that I haven't been able to count yeah. because like I can only, I only count up to 75 right now, which is like way under, but like other right. reports that I've seen are like, well, they're pretty co- close to the cap. And I'm like, Oh, that can't be right. Uh, so like, yeah, I don't know, man. Um, yeah, let's talk honestly, about the no idea. Yep. A uh, lot of losses here. Um, uh, Dan Henley, the starter, got drafted in the third round by the Chargers. Uh, uh, and, and then, sort of a surprise, um, well, although I don't know if it's that much of a surprise, Francisco Maigoa and Travian Brown both transferred out. Those were like the, the next two linebackers in. Yeah. Um, a little more surprised by Brown than Maui Goa. Like, Maui yeah. Goa was very, very, very good. And so not a shock that... He would get I think, I think both of those Brown, guys wound up at other power five schools, right? Brown, yeah, I think, is Brown, somewhere else in the Pac 12, right? Yeah, Brown was a um, he as far as I know, that was a bit of an NIL situation, mm. like that was just he could get more money elsewhere. Uh, Malago also NIL was involved, but that was uh, that had as much to do with just both potential and um, I believe he ended up reuniting with um with someone I'm trying to remember, but anyway, it was, there, there were some other factors in play there as well, where it was like, don't be shocked. If Malgo leaves and ends up over here, like that was kind of like mm-hmm. how it was going before. So yeah, super major bummer, man. Very bummed out about losing Malgo. And then the, they played a five linebacker rotation and the fifth linebacker also uh, has left. I think he just ran out of eligibility, Ben Wilson. Um, and then another guy has also left, although he didn't play, uh, Gavin Barthiel, um, who's, a, I think, a redshirt freshman. He transferred out. Uh, I think that's it for the departures. Yep. I think that's right. Um, they bring back just, I think, three guys on scholarship. One guy who played last year, who's the fourth guy of the five in the rotation, Kyle Thornton, who was playing with the ones in the spring game, and I figure he's got a job. And the other two are Tariq Al-Ukta, and uh, Hudson Cedarland. Neither of those two, I think I saw on the field last year, they were both 2022 recruits who uh, redshirted yep. last year. Cedarland, yep. I was seeing play with the ones in the spring game, and Al Ukta, I was seeing play with the twos. Um, they yep. brought in five additions. Uh, two are true freshmen who arrive in the fall. I expect that they're going to redshirt, but three portal guys. One of them doesn't arrive until the fall, Davon Hicks from USF. And I guess we'll just wait and see on him. I really don't know anything about Hicks at all. But the other two are interesting. I did get to see him in the spring game. Devin Richardson, who is a real weird guy. He's like a low three-star who started out in New Mexico State. And then Texas really wanted him for some reason. And then when the Texas got him, they didn't play him. 
So now he's transferred to Wazoo and he was playing with the twos at Wazoo. So this guy's like bounced around to three schools and hasn't played much football. I don't get it. Um, yeah. And then the other one is Ahmad McCullough, um, who I was seeing play with the ones. He came in from Maryland. Uh, have I recited all of that correctly? Yes. What do you think the order is going to be? <laughs> uh, I think it's a work in progress. I do too. I really don't didn't think that I, I thought that a hard time deciding between Cedarland and McCullough. That's what I was. Seeing. Yeah. Yeah. I know they love Cedarland. Um, I know that there was, there was even some chatter that he might play significantly as a true freshman. Hmm. Um, and then I think that, uh, you know, that situation was sort of locked down to the point where there wasn't massive opportunity there. And they thought, all right, well, you know, let's just, let's just redshirt the guy. So I, I would not be shocked if, uh, you know, and again, there's a lot of these situations where it's like, okay, maybe they start out with, you know, the more experienced guy and then the younger guy kind of grows into it and plays more and more as the year goes on. Would not shock me if that were the case with Cedarland or Al Ukta. Um, again, I know that both of those guys, they really, really, really like their talent. Um, whether they're ready to start from, you know, day one of this season as redshirt freshmen, that might be a little bit of a surprise. And I, and I think if they felt like those guys were like ready to take that jump, you know, you probably don't have Richardson and McCullough you know, on your roster. And then there was, and his I name, mean, I, they might've had to just cause the departures were so significant maybe, though. Like, I'm possible. not sure I can make that in like, I understand the inference that, that you're making. And normally yeah. I would totally agree with you, but like, I think because my, the, my Goa and Brown departures sort of like kind of, yeah. you know, hit were gut punches. I think they kind of had fair. to grab some guys. That's fair. Yeah, and there was there was also a third transfer guy whose name completely escapes me, but he D was on Dave campus on Hicks, for about. Right? Oh, oh no! Maybe, there, yeah, no, there I, was I, another guy who was on campus for about ninety yeah, for seconds, a hot minute, and, and now he, he's not. Yeah, and yeah, then he yeah. transferred out. Like he was yeah. there, and then he was gone. And it was I'm trying to remember. Like he came from a warm climate, and the big joke was that mm. he showed up during winter in Pullman and was like, and "Never was mind," like, oh, and left. None of this. But it, you know, it, like I said, I I think. You might be right that it was more just a matter of bodies. I tend to think that they want to maybe lean on some more experienced guys, at, at least to start um, and then go from there. So, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I feel like there is, you know, huge potential for getting to week one, looking at the starting linebackers and going, wait, what? Like yeah. <laughs> where it's like, wait a minute, like that's, the, those are the starters. Like, I, you know, and I think everybody, especially with our fans, you know, they saw Richardson came from Texas. Oh my God, he came from Texas. Like he must be great. Um, you know, but as you pointed out, you know, this is stop number three, right? Um, and then McCullough, you know, I think again, sort of similar deal in terms of like, all right, you know, this is a guy who has a lot of, uh, you know, power five starts under his belt. So, you know, I think, I think there's an assumption it's going to be those two guys, but you know, as you pointed out, that assumption may or may not be correct. I mean, honestly, the fact that they were having a hard time deciding between McCullough, a redshirt senior and Cedarland, a inexperienced redshirt freshman means you should go with Cedarland. And like, I let, you know, I said at the top, like, I don't judge much out of spring games, but like Cedarland way better to me than McCullough, yes. to be perfectly yeah. honest. Um, I don't know, man. And they I, tend I, to rotate. They they rotate a ton of guys 
at linebacker. I mean, that's all outside of like, so obviously Dayon Henley last year played virtually every snap. Sure. But at the other position, you know, they rotated liberally between Maugoa and Brown. And, you know, sometimes they, you know, you, you had Armani Marsh playing nickel, but sometimes they, you know, in heavy sets, they, that was an interesting situation. Night. The Marsh thing. You know? Yeah. I saw. Yeah. yeah that so, was. you know, you're going to see, you know, all of the linebackers we named off, they're going to get snaps. You know, Thornton's yeah. going to get snaps. Cedarland's going to get snaps. Alukta's going to get snaps. Yeah. You're right. They're going to get snaps. So, all right, let's talk about the secondary. Oh boy. So we have to, (laughs) I mean, you know, what's crazy is, is that like the secondary wazoo, they're like, if you're familiar with from biology, like RK uh, re- reproductive strategy, where like uh, like R reprodu- R is rate and K is is cap. So like you know R is like spiders, where they have like a million babies, um, and most of them die, but like a couple of them survive, and they they have a million babies, right? And K is like whales you know like they have one baby that they like raised till maturity and you know that they're like super dominant at the top of the food chain right but then there's some certain creatures that are like sea turtles you know which are sort of like both right like sea turtles they they lay a bunch of eggs right then they totally abandon them right and then little sea turtle babies they have to run to the sea and they have to dodge the seagulls who wind up eating you know most of them but the the couple of sea turtles that make it to the ocean like they live to be like 200 years old right you know they're sort of you know, well, that's what like the the secondary at Wazoo is like. The, the you know they shouldn't be the cougar; they should be called the sea turtles, um, because it's like if you make it to be a starter in the secondary at Wazoo, man, you are set for life. You know, you are going to be a starter for like six years. You know, you're going to be like halfway to your doctorate, you know, with the COVID, you know, eligibility holiday, you know, you know, you make it forever. On the other hand, you know, if you don't make it to a starting job by the, like two years in, like, forget it, man, you are, you are leaving the program and like cycling out, like, you know, that's the thing for like five years now, we've been talking about this, Jeff is just like, they take like a dozen new dudes every year and like a dozen dudes leave every year, you know, like, and those are the little baby sea turtles who are getting eaten by seagulls. Like, um, so, uh, let's talk about all the sea turtles, um, who got eaten by seagulls first. Um, or the the couple 200 year old ones who finally died those were Derek Langford one of the starting cornerbacks Armani Marsh the starting nickelback and Jordan Lee who was uh, I think one of the backup well I'm actually not really sure of the position that Jordan Lee played but he was one of the Yeah I mean he safeties. was he was a strong he was strong safety he okay. he would have played a lot more if he hadn't um he he dealt with injuries all year okay. that, that was kind of his issue and then uh let's see Ar- armani archie transferred out he was a backup nickelback um he just got picked up by somebody i think today let's see uh more guys adrian shepherd transferred out as a redshirt freshman hunter scoria transferred out as a redshirt freshman tony carter transferred out as a redshirt freshman bryce grace transferred out after playing in the spring game as a boundary safety and as a redshirt freshman let's see cornerbacks uh justin anderson transferred out as a redshirt freshman caleb ford dement really weird as uh, one of the few you know sea turtles who never played as a fifth year came in from old dominion as a corner back but like didn't play uh, and he's finally transferred out to go try to not play somewhere else i guess did i miss anybody no nah, that sounds about right okay let's see 
Let me start with the cornerbacks first. Like I said, Derek Langford was one of the starters. He uh, has departed. They they bring back the other starter, who's Chow Smith Wade. He is a 200 year old sea turtle who has you know another like 50 year old 50 years to go. Right, you know, no no danger of his job being taken away. Right. Yep. Yep. That's correct. I think the other new sea turtle is Cam Lampkin, uh, the Utah State transfer. I think that's likely another frustration. He was, he's listed on the official uh, rosters. Number 29 was playing again, Jersey number three, apparently Jersey number three is very popular among Wazoo <laughs> players, but not on the, the, like the website keeper. It's very frustrating. Cause I like, I have an, yeah. like I, I, I wrote a little program to scrape the website every day at like quad zero GMT. Um, but then I have to write a little exception to tell it not to do that for those two guys. And, but then I have to write like a self deleting code to tell it to not do that. If, if, you know, to commit suicide, if the Wazoo ever gets its shit together and yeah, annoying, <laughs> like nobody cares about this except for me. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, anyway, I think those two guys are going to be the starters, Smith, Wade and Lampkin and, and sort of, that's just that, but I have no idea how this backup situation goes. Um, cause like the guys who I was seeing were like walk-ons, I, you know, there was like a Juco, uh, Jamari Colson who was playing with the grays, but like as the twos, I saw they got a freshman who initially enrolled at UCLA named Ethan Connor, but apparently couldn't get into UCLA, but Hey, that's why they made Wazoo. Um, I like, I don't know. How do you think the backup situation goes? Man, of all the stuff we've talked about, I, this is the one where I'm like, I, I truly I, I have no idea because like nobody <laughs> like, else played. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's a crap shoot. Um, I, you know, I don't know that there's any obvious, you know, I think, I think your assumptions on the starters are correct. I think, you know, Shaw Smith Wade is locked in. Um, and, and I, you know, tend to think he was actually, you know, pretty darn good. Um, but you know, it, it, at least in terms of you, uh, if you measure, the quality of a cornerback by how often he gets thrown at. Right. Mm. So like Smith Wade, they often threw away from his side of the field, which, you know, whatever, if you want to sort of infer from that, that's kind of what we all did. Um, and then of course, you know, like Langford is gone. So now Lampkin steps in. Is he, he's probably the guy. I mean, and then after that, like it's the like only other guy who played like it was, yeah. you know, so Smith really no Langford idea. got like 95% of the snaps Lampkin got five and then the other 5% right. and then nobody else right. played. So like right. I've got no, and, and like, frankly, what I think that means is that none of the returners are, are the backups. I think the backups are the two Jucos who came in Colson and Stephen Hall. And I think that yeah, that's entirely, that, that's it. And then the rest of them are going to be eaten by seagulls to continue the metaphor. Yep, Entirely possible. I wish um, I had some insight for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about the nickelback position. Um, because, like I said, I think both of them left Armani March and uh, Arm uh, Armani Archie. It was weird they both had the same first name, yes, but spelled differently. Spelled differently. So one, of them, one of them has gotten a U in it. I was seeing three different guys play nickelback, actually, four different guys playing nickelback, but I, I, one of them I think isn't really seriously in contention, to be honest. The uh, I was seeing uh, a, a one new Juco uh, come in. I was uh, Kapena Kudshinkin. I was seeing Chris Jackson, who was a Michigan State uh, transfer. I was seeing uh, Jackson uh, Latamaya, 
uh, or Latai Mua, excuse me. Um, I was seeing uh, uh, a guy who was initially enrolled at, at Washington, but has walked on at uh, Wazoo, Case and Kinchin, although I'm not sure if he's seriously in contention. Have I missed anybody? Nope. Nope. I think that's about right. So I think I, I'm not sure if Kinchin is seriously in contention. I think they just needed a fourth guy, you know, to, to round out. Cause you know, the, you need, cause, cause they split, split it in two for the spring game. Right. Um, and so you need a starter and a backup for each two, you know, teams. So they, I think they just threw in Kinchin, you know, as the backup for the twos. Um, I, I think it's a series three man, you know, race. Um, my guess is that, uh, uh, I think, I think the uh, Latimua, you know, has the has the edge. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, th- you know, to be honest, um, it's tough to say only because this was one of those positions where, I mean, it was Marsh, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, <laughs> like there, there was not a lot of, and, and I mean, I would have penciled Archie in, but then he transferred out. Right. Right. And, you know, Marsh was a stalwart there. He was, you know, former walk-on who was praised for his leadership, toughness, you know, all of those things he played. I mean, it seemed like virtually every snap, um, just a really, really, really dependable guy. And so, you know, normally when you look at these things, you go, okay, well, you know, who's got some experience there. Oh, well, they bring this guy in and you know, the, the secondary situation, especially between the safeties and the nickel has tended to be, you know, fairly fluid, right? Like Armani Marsh, he was a corner before he was the nickel. Like, so, you know, you can think sometimes you can think, Oh, this guy seems like he profiles nicely as a nickel, but then maybe they're like, Nope, that's our strong safety. Right. Like, yeah. And so it, it, you know, it really is tough, tough, tough to say. And I would not, I would not be shocked if there's still, um, some movement there and something to be said for that between now and, and the first game. So then the reason why I wanted to get that out of the way before I talk about the, the boundary and the free safety is because the boundary and the free safety are obvious. It's Hicks and Lockett um, who returned from last year who were the starters. But the backup situation is, well, frankly, I'm just not wild about who the backups are. I think the backups are like Tanner Moku, who's a walk-on, Reese Sylvester, who's like a two-star. There's a portal guy coming in, Dominic Tatum from Utah State, um, who is not very good for Utah State and doesn't arrive until the fall. If I had to make a guess, I think that the guy who loses out for the um, for for the nickel spot is actually just the backup for these safety spots, you know, the deep, the deeper, you know, the boundary safety spot. Um, What do you think about that? Like, I think that all of the, the nickel candidates are better candidates for backup safeties than all of the actual, you know, safety backups. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That pencils out for me. I mean, it's, you know, we're pretty thin um, at safety and I think that, you know, sort of nothing, uh, underscores the thinness at safety than the fact that Sam Lockett is still a starter, which, yeah, well. <laughs> you know, God, God bless him. Yeah. But nobody in this room can challenge him. I mean, I totally his effort and his yeah. leadership and like all of those things, but athletically he he's not a, he's not a PAC 12 athlete. 
and that gets exposed pretty badly from time to time. Um, you know, like I said, you know, God bless him. I'm glad he's here. Good on you for getting a scholarship, like all of those things. Um, but there are times where it's just very clear that he's just, he's just not there as an athlete, um, at this level. So the fact that he is still just like, Oh yeah, you know, this is this pencil, you know, it's your starter free safety. Like, like you just kind of go really like, we don't have anybody who can, who can challenge him. Um, and so that, that fact alone just kind of tells you, uh, you know, per, you know, how, how sort of like thin it is, um, after you get past, you know, the top two guys. So, well, I mean, um, that's sort of the, tough the to difficulty say. is because like, I, I, you know, putting in a, a, a nickel to replace the, the boundary safety is easy, but like, I like sure. Hicks as the boundary safety, yep. you know? The, the problem is like, I I'm a little more skeptical about putting in a backup nickel as your backup free safety. And I don't For know sure. who they have who can play free safety like at all. Yeah. I guess I Reese Sylvester, <laughs> you know, the fact that all these dudes transferred out indicates that none of these dudes thought that they could beat Sam Lockett. And, and that's a scary thought, Indeed. you know, cause yep. I, I'm pretty Indeed. sure that there's three people on this podcast who could beat out sam lockett well maybe two definitely not me but maybe you guys well the dog's on the podcast (laughs) it's true yeah yep i you know it and like i said it's uh you know getting back to dicker being creative i i would imagine there will be a lot of tinkering with that in the fall in terms of like okay what what do we do you know what are we doing at nickel what do we do if lockett gets hurt do we do we have a better option than lockett like um, I think that, you know, there, there will be plenty of that, uh, come fall camp. I do wonder about Dominic Tatum. Cause I haven't seen him yet. Like, I mean, his, his, his performance grades aren't, aren't great, but like, I, you know, th- there's potential for a fall battle there. We just, you know, we haven't seen him in spring, but I mean, that's uh, there, but they only brought in one freshman. I mean, that's sort of the freaky thing is that like, they didn't lay a lot of eggs here, you know, um, they, they brought in one Juco. They brought in one transfer edition. They brought in one freshman who's Adrian Wilson. And I didn't even see Adrian Wilson. He doesn't arrive until the fall. So like, you know, they're sort of rolling with, you know, this group of backup safeties. They're much more oriented, you know, the, the, the backup seat, you know, like Hicks and Lockett were the starters last year. The backup safeties are Chris Jackson, who's trying to play nickel, uh, Lataimua, who's trying to play nickel, Moku, who's trying to play boundary safety, Kinchin, who's trying to play nickel. Um, and it's not until you get to, uh, you know, Reese Sylvester, who's a two-star, and Joseph Taylor, who's a walk-on, till you start talking about any guy who might be a free safety who would challenge Sam Lockett. And it's like, that's, yep. uh-oh, you know. Yep, yep. that's a lot of uh-oh. <laughs> well, um, Jeff, whenever you're on the podcast, it's always a lot of fun. I got to say, uh, thanks so much for coming back on. It really is a pleasure to talk to you every time. And uh, if I have to switch from the ducks, I'm always thinking, which underdog am I going to go for? <laughs> is it going to be Oregon state or is it going to be Wazoo? No. Yeah, I think there we I'm go. too close to my hate for Oregon state. I, it may be Wazoo. It used to be Cal, but Cal became less and less watchable over the years. Yes. Uh, they're they're hardly a half team even anymore. So yeah, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's up there. The Wazoo fandom's up there for me. Just so you yeah, know. I appreciate that. Well, you know, we take all comers, 
you know, come on down and, uh, and we will, you know, we'll, we'll hand you a bush light and, uh, and you can join us. <laughs> Wash it down with some fireball. Yeah. Sounds good. That's right. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> Podcast versus everyone is the podcast y'all should be following. And then might as well, while you're on the internet, go to Twitter at pod versus everyone. Follow Jeff and his wonderful co-host Craig Powers over there. Uh, Jeff, it's always, like I said, it's just fantastic. I'm, I'm very grateful that you're willing to come on this podcast and talk to talk about the Cougs for two plus hours. It's always fun. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, no problem. And Hithliday, as always, thanks for your work. We're almost done. We've just got the ever-elusive Colorado roster popping up in front of us before we dive deep into the actual Ducks. Yeah. God, yeah. that's that's where you're going to make you. That, like, that's where you really get to show your chops. Is oh, it? yeah. You ready yeah, for those are not part? just baby sea turtles getting picked up by seagulls. <laughs> those are it's those so are true. full gone Galapagos yeah. tortoises who are yeah, good <laughs> lord man <laughs> picked off by Barrett fifty cows. Yeah, you know, well, yeah. I always knew we would get to the reproductive systems of uh, certain yes. animals on this pod. I, I just didn't know it would take ten episodes. Uh, once again, thanks so much for coming on, both of y'all, and uh, we'll see y'all next week. Go ducks, go kooks. Go Cougs. <laughs>